Hi there, River's Edge. Matt Deason here. As has happened several times over the course of the last year, we accidentally deleted our podcast recording this morning. And so I'm going to repeat uh, the gist of what we talked about this morning uh, for your benefit. And so um, if you were with us uh, or listening in, last week we finished a two-month series on the parables of Jesus from the book of Matthew. And this week, uh, we're glad that you're listening because we are starting a new series, which I believe is going to be really important in the life of our church, called Why Gather?, And the goal behind the series is to examine as a community the different aspects of our Sunday gathering and sort of take a step back to question why we do what we do and how we should expect to encounter God in the midst of it. So our jumping off point for today will be 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles, and we'll pick up there in just a few minutes. As Jesus spoke to his first disciples, he gave them a renewed purpose and identity in the world. And he told them, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And what we see in this language is that disciples of Jesus were actually meant to scatter like salt which spreads out and flavors and preserves. And we were meant to gather, Jesus says, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Dozens and even hundreds of lights coming together in one place. But the question becomes, why should we gather? What's the point? Why not just stay home and podcast? Can't I be the light of the world on my own? Do not give up meeting together or gathering, Hebrews says, as some are in the habit of doing. But the question becomes, why not? What's the point of getting a bunch of people together in one place? Why is this thing that we engage in week in and week out something that Hebrews says we shouldn't neglect? And how should we expect to encounter God in the midst of it? That's the question that we seek to answer through this series. And I realize there's a bit of irony here, right? Because we are speaking about the beauty and importance of gathering all through the month of August, which, statistically speaking, is the month when the church is least likely to gather. In Spokane, it is consistently the month of lowest church attendance. And I say it is ironic because it actually wasn't intentional. All right, so if you're out camping this month and listening to the podcasts or whatever, um, please don't let this spoil your vacation. Uh, This is not a guilt trip or anything like it. It's not a a passive-aggressive move on behalf of the leadership. We did not intentionally plan to talk about the importance of gathering in the month when people are least likely to gather. 
But in all reality, we just think that this is a really important conversation to have, especially for a church plant, and we didn't feel that this conversation could wait any longer. So for the next five weeks, we'll take a break from our journey through the book of Matthew in order to examine different aspects of the gathering, why we do what we do, and how we should approach, structure, and anticipate our time together. And we'll start today by examining the first aspect, which is the mystery of the body of Christ and what it means to be a fully functioning church body. So we pick up in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, Paul says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the community that you are building at River's Edge. And God, we pray that in our gathering and in our scattering, you would teach us uh, how to uh, follow after you, how to be your disciples, and how to uh, become uh, the body that the scriptures speak of. That, that we would actually embrace the mystery of being uh, your body, and that you would bring us to life in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look through history, and in particular at the story of humanities, religions, and world movements. One movement stands apart. The rise of Christianity and the early church represents an unparalleled, explosive, multiplying movement which has been unequaled and unmatched by any other, and which continues right into the present moment. And there are countless factors which help account for this growth. I think of the empty tomb, for one, or the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in the church throughout history. But one of the factors that is uniquely relevant for our purposes today was the nature of the gathered church and the testimony it gave to the world. In a world deeply divided across lines of Jew and Gentile, slave and master, male and female, suddenly a new and vibrant community emerged in which those boundaries and divisions no longer applied. Suddenly Jews were sitting down to eat with Gentiles, something that was an intimate act in the ancient Near East, and in doing so they were violating all sorts of cultural boundaries and celebrating a new unity which demanded the world's attention. 
And so you had all of these people from different backgrounds and cultures and education levels and financial positions and, and various personalities and giftings all being united around Jesus and in doing so, reflecting him to the world. The first witness of the early church, its earliest apologetic, was the sheer diversity of the gathered and unified body. Because when they gathered together in one place, people noticed. It, it turned heads, it begged questions. The gathered community sent a statement to the world because it was a compelling picture of God himself. And while the world has too often viewed diversity as unwelcomed, uh, unnecessary, uncomfortable, or weak, within the context of the gospel community, God says it is strength. And so as God's people gather in their diversity, something profound actually begins to take shape. And so uh, Paul is sitting there, ground zero, watching this thing explode, watching new communities and churches uh, be planted and take root and grow. And, and the world has never seen anything like this before. Certainly Paul, as a young Jewish man and, and as a Pharisee, never dreamed uh, of what he's currently witnessing. And so he's sitting back and, and reflecting on it and thinking, well, what, what is this thing that you and I are a part of? What, what's it like? How could we describe it? It's not um, primarily a, a nonprofit. It's not a club or, or, or a cult. It's, it's not a, a social justice movement. Or, or even a spiritualized form of, of hierarchical government. In fact, it, it's actually more like a body. The, the, the church is this living, breathing organism made up of different, diverse, and complementary parts. And when they all come together, something profound happens. God is somehow magnified, displayed, and experienced in new and fresh ways, in a richness that we simply cannot experience in isolation. In fact, Paul says, the church is a body and like any body, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And somehow, in that gathered, connected whole, a compelling picture of Jesus emerges. He, he's actually dwelling in and through it. And Paul says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. And, and there's a mysticism to it. We have to admit that and even embrace it. But in all reality, it is not unlike the mystery of your existence. Because if you really stop to think about it, there's something rather curious about the way that you exist. I mean, strictly speaking, from a scientific perspective, you are difficult to find. 
because you can't be found in any particular cell in your body. Mysteriously, you dwell collectively in all of your cells, but if I were to remove any one of your cells and put it in isolation, that cell would immediately cease to be you. And I could look at it under a microscope and study it, and you would not be there in any meaningful sense. But... The curious thing is that I could do that with every single cell in your body one by one, and it would be tedious and painful for you, um, but still I would not find you. Somehow you dwell in and through all of your physical cells, but you are not to be found in any single one of them. And in fact, uh, I would argue that you can't even be found in your organs. I can remove your heart, for example, and well, I can't, I'm not qualified, but a surgeon could remove your heart and put in a new heart and, and, and it doesn't really affect you. You keep being you. In fact, a person can go brain dead and they will lose capacity, but not personhood. The fullness of their person, the fullness of their existence is still there. They do not cease being them. And so scientifically speaking, you are not your cells or even your organs. We aren't quite sure where you are or how you exist in the way that you do. And yet, when all of your cells come together in harmony, wow, there you are, dwelling in and through them. And you are a stunning creature made in God's image. And the whole of you is so much greater than the sum of your little individual cells, none of which seem to contain you at all. And there's no such thing as a perfect analogy, but Paul is saying that is the mystery of Christ and the gathered church. Your faith with Jesus must be an individual faith. It has to be lived out between you and God. No one else can have faith for you. You have to pursue him on your own behalf. But your faith cannot only be lived out with you and God. Because if it is, and you live out your faith in isolation, as can be oh so tempting for the introverted among us, myself included, then you are operating as a single-celled organism. And Paul says, you're missing it. You're, you're missing the glory and beauty of what the gathered, connected church is supposed to be. You, you aren't just a bunch of individuals reluctantly coming together to hear a teaching in the same physical space. 
Paul says you, you are cells in a body. And when you are united with one another, you become more than the sum of your individual parts. Something profound emerges. You become part of the body of Christ himself, in which Christ, Paul says, is the head. Now, Christ is in no way dependent on the body, but the gathered community becomes this organism in which he dwells. And we can become disconnected from the head. There can be atrophy and even paralysis in the body. But when we stay connected to Christ, like branches connected to a vine, then, then Christ actually dwells in us in such a unique way that we cannot help but become the light of the world because He is the light of the world. Every time you walk up the steps to our church, I want you to think to yourself, light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. God is going to be manifested in this gathering of people in a unique way. I, I, I want us to start anticipating that coming in the doors. And every time you walk down the stairs to our church, I want you to think to yourself, salt of the earth scattering out into the city. It's this rhythmic way of living, and we need both. And of course we need to scatter. The necessities of everyday life ensure it. You have degrees to earn and rent to pay and kids to chase and chipotle burritos to consume and some of you have future spouses to find and my goodness, that river is not going to fish itself. It actually needs my help. And so we scatter. But, Hebrews says, don't neglect the gathering as many are doing. Don't forget to stay connected to God's gathered people as some have done without a second thought. Because as we gather in our diversity and in our beauty, we magnify Jesus and bring him to life in a new way. He becomes more tangible to you and to others through you and through others. How? Well, Paul says, God has given to this body an incredible diversity of people and gifts. And we talked about this briefly two weeks ago, but 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 8 tell us uh, that God has given us, uh, first of all, this kind of set of roles uh, or, or abilities that people play within the church. It says he's given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. To which I would uh, humbly add, he's given us counselors and missional community leaders and event planners and musicians and graphic designers and kids leaders. And, and that list, I believe, can actually um, stretch uh, out a bit and go on. 
And, and then you've got this other category, if we can think of it that way, um, called gifts, which are given directly from God, from the Holy Spirit, which include, the scriptures say, miracles, gifts of healing, of helping others, of guidance and wisdom, speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues, gifts of encouragement, generosity, messages of wisdom, gifts of prophecy, messages of knowledge, and, quote, all kinds of service and good works. And so I believe that list could actually uh, continue on as well. And then you've got within the church this diversity of people and vocational gifting. For example, in Exodus, we see God empowering craftsmen, artists, and construction workers to glorify him and, and make him more tangible in, in the physical world. To some in the Old Testament, he gave dreams and visions, and to others, the ability to interpret dreams and visions. I think of a Joseph or a Daniel. Uh, God gifted men and women regularly with prophetic voices and with gifts of leadership as judges over Israel. And so I would argue um, that these lists that we're talking about can actually be expanded down in the number of categories and expanded out in the number of examples. And what you would end up with, if you kind of brought everything together that we see in the scriptures, is you would get this, this stunning diversity of peoples and personalities and giftings and abilities and passions. And so part of our job as disciples of Jesus is to unpack the dormant gifts that God has already given or already wired into us even. And it is to seek God for new gifts on behalf of the body of Christ. And I'd encourage every one of you to kind of press into God in that way. To say, God, what have you given me already? What have you wired into me from birth? And, and Jesus, would you give new gifts that maybe I haven't received yet or haven't even asked to receive? And so I'd encourage every one of you to do that. But within this journey of discipleship, we will um, ultimately will be receiving new things and growing along the way. But within that journey, we will be painfully confronted with our own limitations. And at some point, we will be painfully confronted with this truth. You are not gifted in every way. And you do not reflect the fullness of who God is. You, you aren't bearing the fullness of every fruit of the Spirit. And the Spirit of God will not give you every gift. Rather, you are gifted in a complementary way, and you are capable of reflecting certain aspects of God's character with stunning accuracy and earth-shaping beauty. Some aspects, but not all. And so, we gather.
as brain cells and skin cells and optic nerves, as liver cells and fingers and toes. And, and the more we operate in the fullness of who God created us to be, the more the body of Christ is animated by the Spirit of Christ, and the more God is embodied and manifested for the sake of the church and the world. And we say uh, that Christ is here in spirit, but absent in body, right? And, and that's true in, in a real sense. His resurrected human body is no longer with us, uh, but rather ascended to the right hand of the Father. Here's the issue. If you were able to stand before Jesus right now and tell him that he doesn't have a body here on earth, I, I think he'd probably look at you like you were crazy. Re really? You don't think I have a, a body? I absolutely do have a body. It's called the church, and my spirit inhabits my body. Just, just like yours does. More on the Spirit in a couple of weeks. But it is my sincere hope that in the months and years to come, as God continues to build this community, that countless outsiders will come to visit this place. And what they will taste and encounter here is a tangible expression of God himself in the form of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, of course, but also in the form of a fully functioning church body, each person playing a complementary and unique role. Romans 12 verse 4 says, just, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. And that might sound simple in theory, but there are all sorts of ways that this can go wrong. Because it turns out that in our diversity, there is the potential for jealousy and a whole bunch of other problems that come spilling out of it. Because it turns out that the cells in your body are actually far more naturally cooperative with one another than human beings. Paul writes to Corinth and he says, Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. 
In other words, you can say to yourself, well, I'm not a pastor. Uh, I can't play worship. I'm not good at working with kids. And therefore, I, I, I'm not needed here. I'm not an active part of the church. I, I'm not necessary. And, and you could go so far as to reject the invitation to participate on any level and opt instead for passive consumption or even further withdrawal of just podcasting from the couch. But there is a sense in which you can deny your role and that doesn't change anything. You're still a part of the body. It doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change the gifts God has given you or the necessity of using those gifts. You can pretend to be a self-sufficient, one-celled organism, but you're not. Besides, Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? In other words, look, if the ear stays home, it doesn't stop being an ear. The body is just deaf. And if everyone shows up and gathers, but we all try to be eyes, yeah, that, that's great, but we're still deaf. But, Paul says, in fact... God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. What's he saying? He's saying, don't waste your time on jealousy. God has gifted you uniquely, and Jesus wants more of you for himself, and he wants more of you to come alive for the sake of the body. He is not interested in imitation rooted in insecurity. Instead, he is most highly interested in seeing you released and set free to be who you were wired to be in the body of Christ. And I'm not talking about self-actualization and achieving your full potential in the way that the culture loves to talk about it. I'm sorry that I'm not the, the, the motivational self-empowerment guy. What I'm talking about is people returning to their creator and getting caught up in what he's doing among us. I'm talking about you seeing yourself as one vivid thread in a stunning tapestry that collectively puts Jesus on display for the world to see. Paul says if they were all one part, in other words, if we all tried to play the same role, if we were all the same color thread, if we were all the same body part, Paul says, where would the body be? In other words, it would, it would be nothing. Uniformity would swallow diversity and the body would die. As it is, Paul says, there are many parts but one body. And, and he continues. 
Now, he says, you are part of the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, Paul says, Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And the unspoken answer is absolutely not. We will not all do all of these things. More of us will do more of these things than you currently believe. But none of us is a complete picture of Jesus. None of us is gifted in every way. Don't discount for a second what you bring to the table. Don't let anyone look down on you for the role that you are called to play. And don't you look down on yourself. And and I get it, okay? Not every role sounds equally exciting, I did not grow up hoping to be the gallbladder of Christ, okay? There's, there's, there's nothing particularly exciting about the liver. I'm, I'm not lining up for the job of lower intestine. But if you're called to play that role, and you don't, the church is sunk, The body suffers, and the people around you are actually cheated out of the full and rich picture of God they would otherwise have been privileged to. And so, as we gather together as a church, and we bring all of our gifts and passions and talents and personalities and capacities and perspectives, and we seek to participate and not simply pass through, what emerges is a deeper, fuller vision of Christ and a deeper experience of Him in our midst. The church was never meant to be Jesus as the head, super healthy pastoral neck supporting that, and then a paid staff around them with a disconnected and stagnant body beneath it. No. We gather on Sundays as a launch pad, the connection point for a Holy Spirit-infused body in which each member recognizes their own value and the value of others. And River's Edge, we are doing this uh, today's teaching should should be an encouragement to us because we are slowly building, kind of brick by brick, a church that's built around Jesus and not a charismatic leader and not one person's gifts and strengths, but rather everyone's gifts and strengths. Where the center of life in this community is actually Jesus at work in the community and not one or two staff people up front. And I was reflecting on my role here at the church and, and the tragedy 
of the mental divide between the people up front and the people in the seats. And I think really, if the church in America is to survive and thrive, we have to throw out that division. But I was uh, reflecting on my role in the body. And to be clear, we can all play multiple roles. It's not like you just have one gift or one role or, or whatever. But I think one of the primary roles I'm called to play is that of, of a nerve cell or, or a section of spinal cord. I just attempt to listen to God, receive a signal from the head, so to speak, or from the Word of God, and, and then just pass that signal down the line to the other body parts. But you know when the church comes alive? When everyone sees themselves as a participating and engaged member of equal importance as the other members. They aren't higher than you and more important, and you aren't higher than them and more important than them. We all need each other. Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, Paul writes, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. You want to test the health of a gospel community? Pay attention to how they treat their least important member. How do you treat the kidneys? How are the toes welcomed when they show up to the gathering? Because in a fully functioning body, we recognize that even the least among us is an indispensable part of the body. That without them, without you, the rest of the body will suffer. And that each one of us needs the other. In the very next verse, Paul says to make sure there is no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Equal concern. Because, Paul says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And this is why Paul is always talking about harmony and coexisting and no more than that thriving within the church in our diversity because that's how bodies act. Your cells all play complementary roles and exist in near perfect harmony with one another within your body. They are literally of one heart and one mind, so to speak, and they don't withhold resources from each other, and they don't withhold their gifts from one another. They each embrace what they are called to do. And this is vital. If your liver decides it would rather be an eye, you do not have long to live. If your heart decides that it would rather be a foot, then kiss the world goodbye. You've got seconds remaining. And if your cells 
decide that they don't want to live in harmony with one another, we have a name for that too. It's called cancer. And there will be sickness and friction within the church. But when your cells operate in harmony, suddenly it creates this whole new space for you to dwell and exist. And this is the mystery of the gathered church that comes together to glorify God, to seek Him together, and to walk in the fullness of what God has for them. Suddenly something new emerges, that there is a fully functioning body which God himself inhabits, and we get to see and experience God to a greater degree than we ever would as single-celled organisms. And so as we gather week in and week out as a church, we aim to embrace who God has made each one of us to be, to operate in our gifts and to ask God for new gifts and to strive for harmony with one another. We anticipate with expectancy that we will actually encounter God in and through the fully functioning body of Christ as we gather. We can only get so far as scattered, one-celled organisms, but as a fully functioning body, there is no limit to what God can accomplish here. And God has given you gifts to share uh, with the world at large. There is no doubt about it. That is a whole other sermon series. But, but as we close, I'd invite you to contemplate the beauty and necessity of the gathered church and to reflect on what God has given you to share in here for His glory and for our communal experience of Him. Let's pray. Jesus, we recognize that this is all about You. That God, You are the head to which we are the body. And uh, Jesus, our, our dream, our desire is to be the fully functioning body, connected to the head where every cell, every nerve, every organ uh, sees itself as vital and important, as necessary, as valued and loved by the others, and, and that every person in this community would come to life to what it is you've already given them and to what it is you want to give them next in terms of gifts and calling and vocation and the things that you want to impart from the Spirit, all of it, God. We want to be open to that for the sake of your fully functioning body that you would be experienced to a greater degree in here, in this community, and that we would take on the full calling of being the light of the world, that you would actually be more greatly experienced in, in this city because of, because of our openness to the call on our lives as part of the body. 
And Jesus, we can only do that with you. So would you uh, come and speak to us about our unique gifts and roles? Would you lead us into um, prayer as we seek you uh, for even greater gifts? And would you remind us uh, of the incredible value of each person set within the body that is your church on earth? In Jesus' name, amen.